Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church this wonderful Easter Resurrection Sunday. Christ is risen. Amen. Amen. This morning we want to dig in to this topic of the resurrection of Christ raising from the dead. And to do that, we want to turn to the resurrection chapter in the Bible. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. It's in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, look on with your neighbor. We have some in the back. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as you turn there, let me ask you a question. What kind of life do you live? How would you describe your life? Is it a good life? Is it a difficult life? Is it a happy life? Is it a sad life? Is it a meaningful life? Or do you fear that it's a wasted life? I suppose all of us here this morning could answer yes to all of those, depending on the day, the traffic, and our state of mind. But let me introduce another description of life. One that we find in this chapter. And that is a resurrection life. As a matter of fact, the title of the sermon this morning is Resurrection Lives. We're going to dig into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've just witnessed a presentation by the children and the youth of the story of Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection. Here's the bigger question for us as we dig into the scripture. Has the resurrection of Jesus Christ affected your life? And if it has, how has it affected your life? May I respectfully appeal to you if you were sitting here saying, you know, Al, it really hasn't. I mean, I really haven't thought about it much. I mean, it's a historical thought, but it really hasn't affected my life much at all. Then I would like to appeal to you that this morning, God would want to speak to you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has a great effect on the lives of those who have repented and believed on Him as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that God the Holy Spirit, whether through the simple presentation of the gospel that our children and youth did using puppets and song, or through the preaching of God's Word and the lifting up of Christ and proclaiming Christ this morning that I'm about to do, that God the Holy Spirit would come and speak to you. And you would repent and believe. And as Corey mentioned, we're going to have a guest reception right through these doors to my right after the service. Come, let's talk together. Or speak with the person you came with. But if, as I assume most of you would be saying, yeah, Al, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has affected my life, but I'm not sure that that's really front and center with me right now. I'm a little bit distracted by life. I'm a little bit beaten down by life. I understand intellectually the message of the gospel, and I know it's Easter, so I know you need to preach on the resurrection. That's great, Al. But I'm not sure how much it's really affecting how I live. I want to echo Corey's words on Friday night. We don't just gather because on the calendar it says Easter, therefore it must be resurrection. So we dress in bright colors, and we do certain things. But the message does not sink deeply into our hearts. Just as Corey preached on Friday night, that the message of the cross speaks to those of us who wrestle with guilt and shame every day of our lives. 
And this message penetrates us and says, Jesus took the guilt. Jesus took the shame. We now find rest and peace for our troubled souls experientially. It moves from here to here by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, the message of the resurrection would move from here to here by the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus rose from the dead and that changes everything. It gives us resurrection lives. So as we dive into 1 Corinthians 15, this letter written by Paul in the first century to the church in Corinth, a church situated in modern-day Greece, God, the Holy Spirit, would bring grace to you and would bless you and give you life through these words. For here is the summary of our text today, up on the screen. Resurrection lives are faith-filled lives, Forgiven lives, enviable lives, eternal lives, and meaningful lives. Resurrection lives are faith-filled lives. Have you lost your faith? They're forgiven lives. Do you wrestle with guilt and shame? They're enviable lives. Are you happy with your life? Do you feel like you leave an enviable life? They're eternal lives. You know there's something beyond this world. And they're meaningful lives. Listen, if you're sitting there thinking, no, Al, this must be for someone else. My life's not very meaningful. Let me tell you about my life. And just how meaningless it can be. How mind-numbing it can be. Oh, friend, God would say something different this morning through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And may this truth penetrate us and give us joy and hope in Christ. Point one, resurrection lives are faith-filled lives. Look with me again at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. You've heard it already today. Listen to it again. This is the word of God. For I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appoint appeared to cephas then to the 12 then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep some have died then he appeared to james then to all the apostles last of all As to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is Paul writing. This is Paul writing saying that the first importance, what is most important in the gospel, is that Jesus Christ died, rose, ascended. And this fact is true. Do you believe it? Point one, resurrection lives are faith-filled lives. Do you believe it this morning? Listen, this was written in around, I don't know, late 40s, early 50s AD. When when Paul wrote this, most of the 500 people that saw Jesus were still alive. And if it were not true, they could have called in to their local newspaper and said, that's a lie. They could have stood up when this letter was written to the church in Corinth and said, that's not true. But they didn't. Because it's true. Jesus rose from the dead. If you are here this morning and you're having trouble believing it, I pray God the Holy Spirit would speak it into your heart that his resurrection from the dead 
actually occurred. And because it actually occurred, because Jesus is actually alive and his spirit is here with us because his body is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Jesus' resurrected body is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's true. And he sent his spirit to speak to our hearts this morning. And that faith is the first mark of a resurrection life. And that faith leads us to the second mark of a resurrection life. And that is resurrection lives are forgiven lives. Point two, resurrection lives are forgiven lives. Follow with me the logic of 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and 18. In some ways, this is a review of Corey's message on Friday night, but it's so important, and we so often forget it, particularly right after we sin, that we need to hear it again and again and again and again and again. Listen to Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and 18. And if Christ has been raised, excuse me, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So here's the logic. If it's true that if Jesus hasn't been raised, you're still in your sins, then it's also true if Jesus has been raised, your sins have been forgiven if you repent and believe in Jesus. That's true. The Apostle Paul, writing a few years later to another church, this church in Rome, in Romans chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, said it this way on the screen. But the words, it was counted to him. He's writing about Abraham, the father of faith. And he's saying it was counted to him. Righteousness was counted to Abraham. You with me? But the words, it was counted to him. Notice it's in quotation marks because he's quoting the Old Testament. Were not written for his sake alone. Those words weren't written just for Abraham. They weren't written just for the Romans to whom Paul was writing. They were written for us today. So the righteousness of God was counted to him, verse 24, but for ours only. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Stay on verse 24. What will be counted to us? Righteousness. See, this is the part that Corey preached on Friday night. Most people get, or at least they kind of get, that our sin needs to be dealt with. It needs to be paid for. And yes, that occurred on the cross. That's the first part of the equation that Corey preached on Friday night. But the second part is much more amazing. Not only was our sin taken out of the way, but we were given something. We were given the righteousness of God. God's righteousness was credited to your account. It's one thing if I tell you today, your student debt that's now six figures. I'm looking at the medical school students right now is gone. You would be very happy. But then I told you, and in its place, I have deposited $1.5 million. You would say, wait a second. I can see someone forgiving that debt. Maybe the bank, maybe there's some new deal going on. I don't know. Very grateful that my $150,000 medical school debt is gone. Thank you. But $1.5 million? Do you know what I could do with 1.5 million? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I'm already thinking what I could do. I'd buy Adolfo a brand new car because he's getting married soon. Not really. (laughs) Sorry, Adolfo. Got to take care of the kids and the grandkids, man. They're multiplying, all right? They're just... (laughs) 
Now take that thought and multiply it by a hundred. Go a hundred million. Multiply that by a hundred. Go, go, go to 1.5 trillion. Think of a riches that cannot be exhausted forever and ever, and you're going to live forever and ever. That is what has been credited to you in Christ. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. That's the surety of it. Verse 25. Jesus, who was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. That's a summary of Corey's message. He was, del- he was delivered up for our transgressions to pay for our sins. He was raised for our justification, for our forgiveness, to be credited the one point point zero 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 trillion billion, whatever's after trillion, deposited in our accounts. This is the mark of a resurrection life, even when that resurrection life doesn't have enough money to go to McDonald's because all their money is going to live a very expensive life and to give. And even though they drive beat-up cars, and, and, and even though their clothes aren't like from the best shops and perfectly tailored, And even though their shoes are a little worn out and their kids don't get to do the fancy things that other kids do, they are immeasurably rich and they live every day aware of that. I've been forgiven. Why? Because the transaction on the cross was stamped with a paid in full in the resurrection. The word tetelestai that Corey preached from, it is finished. One of the ways that word was used in the first century was to put on bills that had been paid. Bam, paid in full. Bam, tetelestai. When you guys screamed out on Friday night, it is finished. You were using actually a Greek accounting term used in the first century. It is finished. Almighty God took a heavenly stamp and said, paid in full, wham! And then put into our account millions and millions and millions. Listen, if you are not a Christian, that is not true for you. And I respectfully appeal to you, let this Easter be the Easter you bow your knee to the Savior and receive this forgiveness and start walking the wonderful adventure of a resurrection life that is forgiven. Resurrection life that is forgiven. If you put that back up there, point two. I pray that you would live that resurrection life, that you would know that resurrection life. And dear Christian, if you, if you have known it and you're wallowing in the guilt and the shame that we talked about on Friday night, then I pray this morning you would be encouraged as we proclaim Christ. This is what God has done for you. This is really good news. May you skip out of here. May you run out of here. You, may you be like little Isaac just dancing around on the stage here, right? We're all a little nervous about Isaac dancing. Why not dance? Isaac, dance all you want. This is a happy day. Throw away the stuffiness. If you're here, you're not into stuffiness anywhere. You'd be into a big cathedral somewhere. You know, the big cathedral somewhere, they can have life, but oftentimes they have no life. It's have the form and they have the beauty. And you walk out and you go, yeah, whatever. I'll see you next Easter. But man, resurrection lives every day. I'm like, oh Lord, my life is a bit of a mess right now. And I don't have all that I want. And I see things that I wish would change starting within me. But oh, I'm forgiven. And I got the stamp of approval. 
That's the resurrection of Jesus. Point three, resurrection lives are enviable lives. What in the world are you talking about there, Al? Well, let's look at the opposite of a life that is envied. If I envy somebody, a lot of times in our culture, we envy people with lots of money, with lots of talent, with lots of fame, with lots of followers on Twitter, whatever, okay? We may envy all kinds of people. They look really nice, whatever. But look what the Bible says is enviable. Follow the logic again of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, that is to say we don't believe in the resurrection, we're not living a faith-filled life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Stay on verse 20. So that means because we believe it, our lives are not to be pitied, but the opposite, they're to be envied. Now the world may not see it that way. But that's how heaven sees it. The place where that big stamp came down, paid in full to Telestai, it is finished. The place from which Christ, the risen Lord and Savior, rules and reigns. The place from which Christ will return one day to consummate history. That's how heaven sees it. Oh, and I pray that's how you would see it. Your life is to be envied. Why? Verse 21. For as by a man came death, by man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Here's why we are to be envied. Because of all people, we have had God's mercy to open our eyes that the low-grade or sometimes high-grade guilt, shame, Unrest, worry, fear has been wiped away by the resurrection of Jesus. Because that tells us my guilt and shame before God has been taken. I have found that rest underneath the rest. Listen to the sermon from Friday night that Corey preached about. I have found peace that the world longs for. It cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. It is given as a gift by God. And I can walk around. In whatever clothing I have, whatever home I live in, or apartment I rent, or whatever I drive, and I can just say every day, I have peace with you, God. My guilt and shame are taken care of. I I have a life that's to be envied by heaven's standards. There's a peace in my soul that no one can take. Jesus said it this way, peace I give you, a peace that the world cannot take from you because it's peace with God through Christ Jesus our Lord, certified by his resurrection. And that peace is based upon something very important, and that is this, point four, resurrection lives are eternal lives. Resurrection lives are eternal lives. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I read it last week or whenever it was, two weeks ago at my mother's funeral. I believe this passage, and this passage changes the equation forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 57. I tell you this, brothers... Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is to say die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. This is when Jesus returns. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, 
Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. That this saying was in that song that they sang. Listen to it. Death is swallowed up in victory. Yeah, hallelujah indeed, brother. On the cross, death died. Oh, death, verse 55. Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Aguijon is the the word in Spanish. The sting of death is sin. Adam and Eve's sin in the garden that's affected every person that's ever lived since then. It affects you and me. It affected my mother when she died at 92. It affects everything in this world. We are all dying. And we're at different stages of it. And that sorrow is deep within the soul of man. It's like a Shakespearean tragedy we just slowly walk through. Sometimes that death is getting ripped off in your business. Sometimes that death is getting in a traffic accident on your way to do something you really want to do. Sometimes that death is not getting accepted into the school you want or working in a job where your boss doesn't appreciate you but downright accuses you. Sometimes that death can be your own physical body breaking down, hurting yourself. Your children doing things you would wish they wouldn't do. Your husband. We all experience it. But listen, it's been defeated by the resurrection. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death, verse 56, is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that, that's why our lives are to be envied. I can't buy that. You cannot reverse death. Listen, there are guys in Silicon Valley right now, forget the guy's name, I think it's the guy who made the new car that starts with the T. Thank you. He is pouring millions and billions into this anti-aging stuff. Miami is one of the centers of the anti-aging stuff. That's where all the baseball players came here years ago and got in trouble. Because baseball players feel the aging, and they can't get around on the 90-mile-an-hour fastball, so they take this stuff to try to stop the aging. The cosmetic industry, billions. Everything. Listen, there's something in us that's saying, dying is wrong. Ah, I look in the mirror, look at these wrinkles. My knee hurts, my shoulder hurts. If you got enough money, you go to as many doctors as you can, and you do as much as you can, and you may look good for a while, and after you know, 15 Botox treatments, you can't smile anymore, but you know the wrinkles are gone. But you cannot beat it. You cannot beat it. You understand that? So the person that knows that someone else has beaten it is the most to be envied on this world. Because death's inevitable. Disappointment. Hurt. Children that are born severely handicapped. Sorry for that. But Jesus promises that little boy will one day skip and run and you're going to see it in Christ. And you're going to cry now, but you're going to see it in Christ. You can't buy that. This is what the resurrection brings us. No matter what our station in life. It makes our lives meaningful. Because we all know that somehow we lost the meaning of life when sin came in and separated us from God. And death is the result ultimately. But we experience it every day. But Jesus changes that. He reverses the curse. And he gives us meaningful lives. And that is the fifth and final point here. Resurrection lives are meaningful lives. Philosophers since the beginning of time. Aristotle with his man in the cave trying to figure things out. Theologians have tried to figure this out. What is the meaning of life? You try to figure it out. 
why am I here? As you're changing the 50th diaper or washing those dishes, as Corey said last Friday, that are always dirty or those clothes that are always dirty. The moment you fold them, you know, you get that feeling of, ah, the laundry's done and you put it away and it's folded and it's clean. One of your kids runs in and grabs it, puts it on and five seconds later comes running back in. It's full of dirt and stinks and you go, (laughs) the moment you make it, you got the promotion and someone sells the business. You're finally going to make it in that one industry. And the whole industry changes and what you do is made obsolete. Or you're really feeling good about yourself and the doctor says, I'm sorry to tell you, you've got this problem. It's going to be with you the rest of your life. Right? So we can think, what's the meaning of life? And see, the resurrection gives us the meaning of life. It is what God initially created man for, which is to reign under his benevolent rule forever and ever and ever. That's why we hate death. That's why we know instinctively that it's wrong. And that's why we can, we can be depressed by the wrongs and evils of this world and think, is there, what, what is life? What's the meaning? The meaning is God's righteousness in Christ given to us and resurrection lives. And for that reason, our lives have meaning. And that's what the last verse of chapter 15 says. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. The very last verse, after talking about the resurrection for 57 verses, he then says, therefore, listen, it's important as you study your Bible, circle therefore, you can put it up there, circle therefore, you ask yourself, what is that therefore, therefore? Well, here's what it's therefore, to tell you this, all of that is to say this, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing That in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Whatever that labor may be, it may be changing those locks tomorrow morning. It may be working your homework at school. It may be changing the oil. It may be catching bad guys and making sure that we are safe. It may be making sure that home is built correctly. It could be closing that deal in that tech company. It could be planning for a disaster next year in the Caribbean or South America. It could be helping someone that has a hurt foot. It could be making sure planes are properly navigating the sky. It could be changing out that pump and making sure that that gas station performs rightly. It could be studying really hard for a career in in, in the medical field. It could be, well, whatever you do, whatever you're going to do tomorrow. It could be preaching a sermon. Listen, if it's in the Lord, teaching those children around that living room table, teaching those children tomorrow morning in your classroom, helping someone read, helping someone stay in school, it can feel so meaningless, right? But the resurrection says it's meaningful because if it's in the Lord, it is meaningful because the Lord is going to raise, has raised from the dead and one day will raise our bodies and these broken down bodies will no longer be broken down. And Jesus gives meaning to making sure a conference or a wedding goes right at the Biltmore. Because it's in the Lord. Because it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, oh, Christian, rejoice this morning. Be steadfast and movable. Hope in the resurrection of Christ, knowing that in the Lord, your life is meaningful. Your life is meaningful. Not because someone else says it is. 
Not because you finally please whomever, not because your bank account got to that place you wanted to get to, or you got that promotion, or you finally have the respect of whomever you are trying to get respect from, but because God says it is because you're in Christ, and Jesus has risen from the dead. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room would have their souls set on fire by your spirit right now. To include those that came in here, non-believers. I pray their heart would be alive by your spirit to the gospel truth. I pray they'd be thinking, what is going on here? This suddenly makes sense. Lord, they just cry out to you. They may even not know what to say, but you know their hearts. Lord, I pray that you would save the non-believer right now in Jesus' name. And if that's you, you just cry out to God. We want to speak to you after the service or speak to the person you came with. But Lord, for the majority of us, I pray that there will be a new joy, a new excitement, a new faith. Lord God, you've given us resurrection lives that are faith-filled, that are forgiven, that are enviable, that are eternal, that are meaningful. We want to walk in the good of that. Oh Lord, the righteous go from glory to glory because of the Lord of glory to whom they've been called. We have your life. Even as death is all around us. Lord, let us see that life and live in that resurrection life afresh and anew right now. Right now. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing this beautiful hymn of the church in Christ alone.